0: Hey, welcome back to the infamous podcast. This is Brian and it's just Brian. It's just me today. Daryl is on a much deserved beach vacation with his lovely girlfriend, Jess. And so I thought since Daryl did such a good job a couple weeks ago when I wasn't able to record doing an amazing episode without me, um, you guys should definitely go back and listen to that. Um, it was amazing. He's awesome. And, uh, which one was that? Let's see. It was, um, episode 384, Even the Best Things Can Disappoint. You should definitely go listen to it. So since Daryl is gone today, I'm going to do my own uh, version of the podcast. And without him, I'm going to talk about one of the things that I've been really interested in lately. And it's all the strikes that are happening or pending in Hollywood right now. Um, So I have three great resources from the Hollywood Reporter. They are Linked in the show notes, so if you want to go and check them out, I'm just gonna kind of go through them a little bit um, and give my take. Uh, as you guys all know, there's not a lot of good stuff. Like the good stuff that happens in Holly- coming out of Hollywood right now, like we celebrate, we celebrate as hard as we can. Um, you know, obviously last year Top Gun: Maverick was a breath of fresh air. But you know, there, there's still things out there that are that are really good. Um, even though Superman and Lois is on a down, down downward trajectory this season, um, it's still better than most of the things we're getting right now. Um, obviously, if you watch Succession, um, it's a fantastic show. It, it's a masterclass in not only filmmaking, television filmmaking, um, but television writing and acting. And just that ensemble cast is amazing. And, and they're definitely going to be greatly missed um, to things like it's always sunny in Philadelphia just came back with its 16th season. And the first two episodes are goddamn hilarious. So if, if you have a Hulu um, subscription, make sure you go and, and check that stuff out. But all of, all of the cool stuff that we're getting and all the cool stuff that's on the horizon, um, if it's not already in the can, it's definitely in doubt. Like in the fall, there's probably not going to be any new shows unless there's something that's done and it was supposed to come out in the summer and they're like, well, we're just going to wait now so we have something new to come out. Or it's going to be like um, back in whatever it was, like 2005 or seven, I forget, when the last writer strike happened and we got inundated with reality TV and broke the world. So it's... Um, It's a really interesting time about what's going on because it's not just the writers this time, it's also the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild. So which is also attached to AFTRA, which I don't know what AFTRA stands for, but it's the British version of the Screen Actors Guild. And they're all having issues with the alliance of motion pictures and television producers. So we're going to hop right into it now. and the first the first article that we're gonna look at, talk about, um, it's very long. I'm not gonna go through the whole thing. It came out today. Um, so today I'm recording on Friday the 9th. So this came out earlier in the morning and it's a really good article. The Director's Guild deal with studios draws mixed response as members review details. So just for knowledge, the Director's Guild, DGA, the Director's Guild of America, their current, current contract with the mo um alliance of motion pictures and television producers. Um so that's the AMP AMPTP, which is a horrible, like horrible, horrible. There's no acronym there. Um, their deal runs out on June 30th. So they're trying to get something underway um as quickly as they can so there's not a director strike. So just kind of all these guilds are out there and the writer's guild is definitely the most hard line. Like, no, we're not, we're not giving an inch. We're doing our thing. We're, we're getting what we deserve. And the directors are usually a little more pragmatic and, and we'll deal with things. And then actors haven't striked, haven't been on strike in, in quite a while. So I don't, I don't even know what's going on with the, uh, with SAG. Um, Cause I imagine when they strike, they lose a lot of their benefits and and things like that. So what what's happening here with, with the DGA is, you have a lot of members who are, they're called hyphenates. Um, so they're WGA uh, slash DGA or WGA slash SAG. Um, so you have a lot of these these people who, who cross one, both, or all three of the organizations. Um, but here, it says here, during a Zoom meeting to explain the deal to membership on Thursday, GGA leadership justified the timing of the pact struck on June 3rd, We went as late as one could to go within our window, and we negotiated for one day later than planned, one guild executive told Hollywood Reporter, seemingly addressing criticism that the DGA pulled the trigger too quickly rather than holding out for more leverage. So some of these members are saying that um, DGA negotiators tried to sell a deal to their members in one of these Zoom calls, and even some remain skeptical and plan to vote no regardless saying that the leverage they had was historic and leadership has quandered it. So I, I disagree with this when they're saying they have historic leverage. Right now, more movies are losing money than, than we've seen with the this new tent pole model that happens. And I, I'm not quite sure how much leverage these people have because they want more money, they want more residuals. They wanna make sure that when they make things, that go on streaming, that they can't just be taken down as a tax write off. This is this is across the board for for everyone. Um, because these people all make money off of residuals. Sometimes they get like 30 checks for a penny, you know, but like, that's, that's like a worst case scenario, right. Um, but so so what's happening here is you have all of these people out there who are, you know, not sure and, and they want they want to get paid. But like, they don't want to be paid on a by performance basis. They only want to, they, the by performance basis is like, well, when the movie does well, we should get more, which is absolutely correct. But when the movie does poorly, should they get less? That's, that's a really, I mean, no union obviously ever is ever going to sign that. Um, but guild negotiation team members acknowledged that the union did not get everything it wanted in these negotiations. Um, Including guaranteed additional promotional run and expansion of the DGA's jurisdiction beyond the US and Canada. Um, so what that means is like uh so filmmakers outside of North America are not necessarily a part of the DGA unless they're filming here, uh, as I understand it. So we have here members speaking with Hollywood reporter and they have a range of opinions on the deal. Um one who's voting yes said they did get some significant gains you have to remember that the deal they had before went into the deal they had before it went into negotiations was already so much better than what they have at the wga the writers guild so anything they add is a plus plus. one dga member liked, likened the deal or sorry like the deal but is worried it doesn't do enough on ai protection ai can't replace us but if they use it for actors and writers that would create a domino effect that could eventually replace us all. So this is really funny, right? So they're all worried about AI, which they should be. We all should be worried about AI. AI is terrifying. We've been over this. We've talked about AI. We've been doing this podcast for almost eight years now and I've talked ad nauseum about how terrified I am of AI just because I watch too many sci-fi movies. Um, but these are the same people who tell people that are coal miners and, and truck drivers and, 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 blue collar workers that they want those jobs replaced with automation to go learn to code. And so it's really kind of funny now that they're like, the AI can't replace us. I mean, you can go on mid journey. You can go on open AI, you can go on ChatGPT and have it write you a script like that. Uh, I have a friend who's using chat right now to like help people beef up their resumes and beef up, beef up cover letters. So, you know, you can't really go wrong. Like, with that kind of thing, but eventually it's gonna come for us all. Um, another um, others were harder on the pack, calling the DGA uh, a vichy guild. So I'm not sure v i c h y. I'm not sure what that slang term is. I'm thinking twitchy, but it could be another. Um, but they're t- they are they are happy with like uh, a foreign residuals request, <laughs> a foreign residuals increase. Words are hard. Um, which means that they'll get more money when, when movies do well overseas, which is what we have seen. The majority of movies nowadays make their money from the foreign market. Very few movies are like black Panther where it does better here than overseas. Um, now (laughs) there are a lot of movies here that like lately have done better here than overseas, but they've bombed on both cases and they're not making their money back. I think we're going to see The Little Mermaid as, a, as an example of that. Thor Love and Thunder is an example of that. Um, the Eternals, obviously, was an example of that. And I know I'm just quoting Marvel movies, but that's just kind of what I'm thinking of. Um, but the AI provision for this member was a deal breaker. And a third member who plans on voting no, according to this article, says we need to tie our compensation to the success of our work, the ledger, lev. The leverage we had was historic and the negotiating committee squandered it. So yeah, the time, <laughs> the competition to uh, compensation to the six is great, but if they're not doing it, if they're not doing good, good stuff, making compelling things that people want to go see multiple times, which I don't know about you well. I haven't been to see the same movie twice, uh, I think since before COVID, which for, for, if you remember, like, a lot of times, like when I'm reviewing a movie, I've I've seen it at least twice before I feel comfortable giving a, a full blown opinion, which is why you know my, my scoring system has changed so greatly. With you know most things getting between a four and a seven, and you know very few things getting eight, nine, and nothing gets a ten. So there there's that. It's a lot of just initial reaction. Um, but the thing about this negotiating cycle for the DGA is, is what they're saying is that it's, it's solid. No, there's nothing here that's like groundbreaking or, you know, earth shattering. It's solid. And one of the things that they want to have the industry to do is re- reward performances of success rather than the one size fits all revenue model that they currently have and what they're currently going towards. So, it makes a lot of sense. We talk about the box office on here a lot. so this is this is really interesting to see, and I'm excited to see where the Director's Guild goes with this. Um, so jumping over, so striking writers respond to DGA's tentative deal with studios and streamers. So this is another article, um, with issues including protections against the use of mini rooms. And span the WGA still has a number of proposals on the table that are not going to be impacted by the directors' guild with the AMPTP. So, um, a mini room, a smaller writers' room. Um, so TV shows you'll see it says written by, but there's usually a team of like sometimes, I mean, it's a huge room. Like, if you look at uh, I want to say it's Colbert has like 110 writers. Uh, WWE, for example, has uh, at one point had over 130 writers, which is ridiculous, right? Like, how can you get anything written with any kind of quality with that many voices in the room? Um, but so the WGA, the Writers Guild, um, they're in their second month of strike, um, and their key alliance in the fight for increased, uh, increased residual wages and AR protection, um, Has literally already struck a deal, so that's the Directors Guild. So they don't the the deal has been struck by negotiators. When I say that, the the Guild, the alliance, the guilds, whatever, they still have to do all these votings um, to to approve it and ratify it, like any union. Uh, But yeah, so when it comes to key talking points, the Writers Guild of America has stressed unity with other guilds in its ongoing strike against the AMPTP. Over such issues as streaming transparency, wage increases, and in AI safeguards, while the DGA was wildly expected to close a deal and avoid a strike of its own, the tentative deal dubbed "quote historic" by its leadership has not gone over well. Um, so yeah, so the WGA issued a statement, and it reads like this: We congratulate the DGA negotiating committee for getting a deal they're recommending to their national board for approval and presumably will send to their members for ratification. Out of respect for the DGA's ratification process and in recognition of not knowing the contract language they have negotiated, we won't be commenting on their deal points. Our own bargaining position remains the same as they were on May 23rd. Last week, we sent out an email about the AMPTP divide and divide and conquer strategy won't work this time. The AMPTP will not be able to negotiate a deal for writers with anyone but us. Today, that message in the video about the path to the deal with the WGA is even more timely. Um, SAG-AFTRA also put out their own statement via Duncan Crabtree Ireland, the National Executive and Chief Negotiator, who congratulated the DGA, but said it would be premature to comment on the tentative deal since the Actors Guild leadership hasn't had time to review it. Um, SAG-AFTRA begins negotiations on Wednesday and has a strike and has set a strike authorization vote deadline by 5 p.m. on Monday, so that would be next Wednesday, which would be the 15th, and Monday is the 12th. And the quote goes, as we've done throughout this process, we remain in close communication with our sister unions, especially with the WGA and the DGA. And we will seek to capitalize on the insights we have gained from their bargaining process, uh, process and progress as they have made on, as they have made on common issues. Uh, of course, the need for SAG-AFTRA members are unique in each and every area of focus in our negotiation directed by is directed by serving those interests our bargaining strategy has never replied replied upon nor dependent on the outcome status of the other union negotiations nor do we subscribe to the philosophy that the terms of the deals made with other unions bind us we continue to stand in strong solidarity with members of the wga with their strike and we congratulate the dga on their bargaining and look forward to reviewing the detailed agreement as soon as possible Um, So this is, I mean, this is exactly what they should be saying. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who they've asked not to comment publicly about the DGA. Um, And you have like people like Steven tonight out there saying that. They're using a Tyler old playbook and the DGA sadly continues to toe the line knowing that they can draft off the WGA's resolve for strike in a hugely, in a truly historic deal. Disappointing, but not surprising. None of this is helping any of them, to be honest. Um, I, I don't know. I, so, um, I, this is hard, like, because I, I really want these people to get paid. I want these people to be successful. But at the end of the day, what I want more than any of it is for them to start churning out good, like storytelling again. And so it's really hard for me and and I'm not going to speak for Daryl on this, but this is really hard for me to look at what they're doing and think, yeah, you know what you guys do deserve more money. You deserve more for what you're doing when they are actively ruining characters in IP that they did not create. You have people like Leslie Headland who's, uh, interview from some SoundCloud podcast came up uh, from 2019. It resurfaced this week, where she's talking about George Lucas doesn't know Star Wars, and George Lucas isn't the voice of Star Wars, and and, and isn't the, the the sole reason for it. And it's like you know, George made mistakes, absolutely, but George Lucas is the creator of Star Wars. George Lucas is the one who created these characters and and their motivations and and where they go and how they grow. And he worked closely with the expanded universe to authors with the novels and things like that, to make sure they fit into who these characters were. Since Disney has taken over, they have actively actively sought out to ruin any legacy character that they can. Um Looking at Lando, looking at Luke, looking at, you know, everyone, but essentially everyone, but Leia and Chewie, like, you know, um, have been in some way devalued and, and, you know, Dismissed, uh, which is funny in 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 a lot of ways, um, but here is in this last article, it's a uh, they have an anonymous strike diary running through the Hollywood Reporter for all of this, um, so it's written by someone who's anonymous, obviously. Um, and this one is the disillusioned EP on the streaming hookup model. One striking writer fantasizes about a picket line affair while recounting other bygone romance. Streaming declared it was going to be no strings attached, no commercials, just the good parts of the relationship. And we could have multiple streamers hot. So not, you know, not, not what you're thinking there. Um, so this series is a, a part of these Frank accounts from these striking Hollywood writers. So I am going to go through and I'm actually going to read this whole one because it's not super long. Um, and we'll, I'll comment it on as I go. So a little over a month ago, the uh, sorry, so a little over a month in, and the energy is strong at this point. I assumed I would be losing steam, but I'm not. I'm also sleeping more and getting better at pickleball, and I have time to be creative. So here's an interesting thing. They have time to be creative. They're not allowed to actively work on anything that they might sell, that they are currently working on, that they have already like lined up for, for what's next. So this time to be creative is gonna be really, really hard for some of these people. Okay, I'm gonna continue. Today I picketed with a former reality star turned writer. He's someone I knew a decade ago. He said, you look exactly the same, I thought. You look better. We had a nice chat about the Viking funeral send-off (laughs) that was selling a screenplay versus the up close and personal noting of death of selling a TV show. I thought to myself, This is why I need to self-publish those lesbian romance novels I keep threatening to write. That's the only way to maintain any creativity as a writer. I told him about the idea. He told me he supported it and always liked my writing. I scanned his left hand to see if that pesky wedding ring was still there it was. I remembered that I was also married, not to mention so gay. I'm thinking about writing lesbian fiction. So, I mean, this is like what these people are dealing with right now. They have so much like pent up creativity that like, you know, there's that. And also, you know, as any typical Hollywood romance writer, uh, the modern version of romance is cheating and affairs. So this is definitely on point. All right. Then I thought about that great book I was going to take out and pitch last year. Part of the book involved a labor movement. I felt strongly that the aspects should be brought to the forefront of the story, but the producer didn't think a strike was a good backdrop for a romantic comedy. I disagree. I would watch that show. Meanwhile, I'm currently having a re-meet uh, cute on the picket line. I mentioned the dead pro- project to my picket partner. He agrees with me. Isn't the rule that romance happens when you least expect it? I smile. Exactly. Then think, is this happening right now? See this is this like this is the kind of stuff like this isn't some weird like woke thing this would be a great like this would be a great like great pitch for for a show and i'm i'm really sad that she assuming uh is is having to write this as a as a anonymous diary on the Hollywood Reporter this week. As I contemplate making mistakes, I think about how I like how I, like most folks here, had a decade long relationship with T V and film before streaming came along. Streaming turned a consistent long term relationship into a hookup, which definitely has a certain appeal. And this is a great metaphor. Like this is a great metaphor for kind of like life and dating and relationships right now. Like TV and film, you had to work. You had to work hard. You had to put in like long hours and, you know, things you wrote six months ago are getting filmed, you know, and then put out in another, you know, what like six to six months to a year sometimes, or like in the case of a movie, maybe three years later. Um, and things have changed greatly. So here we go. Streaming declared, um, excuse me, streaming declared it was going to be no strings attached, no commercials. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah. Sorry. Uh, no commercials, just the good parts of the relationship and we could have multiple streamers hot. The initial rush of newness was exciting. Then the fees started climbing, but the relationship on the consumer end hasn't changed. It's still just a nightly hookup an occasional movie. And sometimes we fall asleep together. Um, this again, the office um the people who write the office were making a ton of money because of streaming because people just put it on in the background i'm guilty of it i mean i think we all are actually i'm probably more likely to put parks and rec on in the background if we're talking about those shows um but yeah so i mean it's it, it's a lot of fun it's really interesting like to think about like how how can these people make money from streaming just by our watching habits, or better yet, our streaming habits for the things that we use as quote unquote background noise. Okay, here we go. So people started prioritizing their apps. I've got the front burner streamers and the back burner streamers. I have even canceled a couple of my back back burner apps, but when the next season of Hacks comes out, I know I'll be texting, hey Max, you up? And I know I'm not the only one. The worst is you forget to cancel a streaming app. My friends call that getting AMC Plus. Yes, I 100% agree with this. I subscribed to AMC Plus forever ago, and like I, I did it to just rewatch Being Human, um, and then I forgot to cancel it, and I had it for like four more months. So 100% AMC Plus. You're the you're the you're the culprit there. Um, okay, it, it would appear that the churn and return model isn't working out so well for streamers again, I'm going to interrupt. This isn't working out because there's too many of them. Now, every single network went and made their own streaming service. You have Peacock for NBC universal. You've got paramount plus for paramount. You've got Disney for Disney. You've got, um, I mean, I guess Comcast is is Paramount or is uh, sorry, Peacock and Hulu and and you know Hulu can be thrown into Disney, but then you have these like AMC Plus. You used to have HGTV, Discovery, all of that stuff, which has now been put under um, under Max. But yeah, there, there's just far too many streamers. Like, has anyone out there ever actually subscribed to Crunchyroll? I mean do do you love anime like email me or message us on on Instagram whatever it's infos podcast like have you ever paid for crunchyroll i'm i'm 100% interested in this things like uh uh what is it Tubi and freeverse and and that kind of stuff these are all streaming services out there i f- fuck prime i mean prime has got good stuff on there it's probably outside of max it's the one i use the most followed by hulu but I, I still have a stars because I'm, I'm just, you know, I know I'm going to cancel it and then he season two is going to come out and be like, great. Now I got to pay full price for it. So, you know, it, it's like, I get it. Like this, this is a hard thing like that these streamers are doing to to consumers, which is then affecting residuals and, and things like that. So here we go. They need subscriber growth to balance out their business model. So they're going back and parceling out episodes in order to keep people hooked refusing to admit they might might have been hasty to dispose of the old model entirely but we writers know what mistakes happen you try something it's fun for a bit but maybe not sustainable i look up again at my picketing partner i can barely hear what he's saying because he's so tall maybe if i get closer to his mouth oh wait he's talking about his kids he has kids that's a new wrinkle I begin looking through the mob of guildies for a person for the person I came with. I find six blue t-shirts looking at uh, six blue t-shirts ahead, looking around for me. We lock eyes and both points uh, to our watches. It's time to head home. Okay, so I'm glad these people are having fun on the picket lines because, like, they should be. Like, this is definitely serious, but they should be. Um, the The main problem, like I said, is we are not. They are not putting out the quality of content that we are used to. They are they are in, injecting everything with ideology, with you know quote wokeism. And again, at, at the end of the day, they're not telling good stories. They're they're destroying because everything's a reboot right now, or a remake, or a sequel, or a prequel, they are taking existing IP, putting modern sensibility on it, which is no sensibility at all. And they're ruining these things. Um, you know, I said I said before, I've said a couple times, I actually, I'm not, like, like I want the writers to get paid, yes. I am not in support of this. I think that all of these people need to take a good hard look at what they do and how they're doing it and be better. Um, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to see Across the Spider-Verse yet. But from what I understand, it's really good. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Into the Spider-Verse, but I liked I liked more of it than I disliked. But I, I still, I don't know. I, it was just kind of, I typically fall asleep watching it. Um, but you look at like Sony versus Disney when it comes to Marvel. Spider-Man has been Spider-Man for the most part, other than the whole like Iron Spider, Iron Kid thing. Um, but Spider-Man has been pretty close to being Spider-Man since Tom Holland took over. Um, I think everyone who was the version of Spider-Man that they were in, into the Spider-Verse was spot on. Spider-Noir was great. Um, Spider-Ham was great. I actually liked John Mulvaney as that and obviously Nick Cage. Um, But yeah, so, so we're going to see where this goes. Um, I, 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 I do think, I do think there, there there's a bit of an issue and, and all of these people kind of need to come together and be like, okay, look, we need to we need to take that 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 word diversity or that word inclusion and not put it at the top. Um, we need to put it somewhere, maybe in the middle back half of of their their writers' room Bible because you look at something like warrior Nun, the first season of warrior Nun. i actually the both seasons of warrior none are great so i think there's a, a like email thing or hashtag that you can do to try and get that uncancelled um come on hbo max amazon prime they're they're those are it's a show tailor-made for for either of your networks um but you look, you look at Warrior Nun and, you know, they had a trans character in the first season. They didn't make a deal about it. It was just like a cool character. And and she was instrumental in helping Ava acclimate to the modern world. Um, you look at what Netflix did with with Wednesday. Wednesday was a great show. Um, you know, and and they very easily could have made Wednesday gay. And they didn't. And they fought that. And they fought for making her like overly boy crazy. And, you know, there, there was a tremendous amount of restraint there. So there is... There, there is the map for that. There is the blueprint for that. Um, they just need to follow it more. Uh, so yeah. All right. Uh, I've been going on for about a half hour. I think you <laughs> you guys have heard me drone on long enough. So just kind of in summary, the, the guilds are all the writers, screen actors, Directors, they're 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 all going through negotiations right now to to re up their their contracts and things like that. I hope they do get paid. I really do. I don't necessarily believe any of them deserve it, but at the end of the day, I do. I do hope good comes out of this, where maybe the producers guild is like, or the um, AMTPT it is is able to say, hey. Like we, we want to do this. We want, we want to make sure everybody's getting what they deserve. Um, if we have to pull it down a show like Willow, because it's so bad, we will do maybe a lump sum payout of, you know, an average of, of the last three months of residuals as a like, Hey, like we're getting this tax write off. This is your benefit out of that. Um, because it really, like, it really isn't fair for them to just take stuff down and, and be like, yeah, no, like, this is losing this money. They absolutely have every right to do that, but the people who worked on it should definitely get some of what they're owed. Um, even though it, it's not working out. So, uh, yeah. Okay. On that note, uh, I will see you guys next week with Daryl back. And before I go, thank you for listening. Uh, like subscribe, whatever to the podcast. Um, if you are on iTunes, go ahead and give us a five-star review or four, whatever, give us whatever you think we deserve five, you know, that'd be great. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week. We'll talk about Superman and Lois again and some other things. Maybe I'll get to go see, uh, across the spider verse and we'll get a, we'll get a catch up on, on Daryl's beach vacation, which sounds like fun. He went to my favorite breakfast restaurant, like three or four times. So totally jealous. All right. On that note, I'll talk to y'all later. Have a great one. Bye. The infamous podcast is recorded in Kings Mills, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati. You can find new episodes every Sunday on Apple Podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, our website, or anywhere podcasts are downloaded. This show is hosted by Daryl Jasper and me, Brian Tudor. To find more information about the show, visit us at infamouspodcast.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Infamous Podcast to keep up with the show. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash infamouspodcast. We have some great rewards for our patrons and are looking for help to grow the show to bring you more of the content you want to hear. Music for this podcast is provided by Michael Henry from meetmichaelhenry.com. So whenever you're listening to us, have a great day, night evening weekend whenever it is and we'll see you next time thanks for listening